All right, praise the Lord. We left off last week in uh, Genesis 9.17, and uh, God had established his covenant with Noah by way of recap. Noah and his family left the ark. Noah offered a burnt offering to the Lord, and it was sweet-smelling, savory aroma of every clean animal. God honored that sacrifice, and he said he would, uh, in his heart, he says, he would never again flood the whole earth with water to destroy all flesh as he had. And as long as the earth remains, he said, as long as there's winter and summer and day and night, as long as this world is here, he's never going to do that again. He made a covenant with all of mankind, you and me. God established the sanctity of life. We looked that up. No bloodshed without the penalty for bloodshed. Um, God established that covenant with Noah and uh, put a rainbow in the clouds for him to see and to remember his covenant. And that's really it by way of recap. Um, Picking it up in verse uh, 18, I'm hoping to get all the way to chapter 11, verse 26. And so we'll kind of cook along here and see how it goes. Um, What did Ham do? Verse 18 through 29. Now the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, Japheth. And Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah. And from these, the whole earth was populated. And Noah began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. Then he drank of the wine, and and he became drunk, and became uncovered in his tent. And, And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father. And he told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and they went backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. And so Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done to him. And then he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants he shall be to his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and may he dwell in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. And Noah lived after the flood 350 years, and so all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. One of the, old, one of the last of the old guys um, was Noah. What did Ham do, anyways? You know, it doesn't come right out and say, other than he saw his father's nakedness. But it must have been more, since Noah knew something had been done to him when he woke up, which is interesting. Uh, This is the first mention of drunkenness in Scripture. Now, the majority of times alcohol is referred to in Scripture, it's surrounded by very bad things. So take it as a a tip, simple wisdom. Ephesians 5.18 says, Be not drunk with wine, whereas in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And he makes it a math problem, you know, to the degree. He says right there, to the degree that you are under the influence of alcohol, well, you're no longer under the influence of the Holy Spirit. It says it right there. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. He contrasts the two. But whatever Ham told his brothers that he saw, well, his brothers picked up a curtain and they walked backwards and go so they couldn't see anything. Uh, they did. They knew whatever it was. They had to avoid any sight of it whatsoever and cover it up immediately. Whatever Noah discovered when he awoke, well, he knew that Ham did it somehow. 
and it warranted a curse, a curse that's passed down through the generations. And so there's speculation all around it. I'm going to leave it at that. I don't need to imagine anything. All I know is that whatever it was, it was serious enough that uh, Noah had cursed Canaan. Um, it's uh, whenever there was a father and a mother, and the ones were named just like Adam named, uh, and Eve named Seth, because he was the one that took the seed. And down through the generations, we uh, even so uh, Methuselah was named. Um, uh, when he dies, it shall come. Noah was named. He shall comfort us, uh, and he will uh, give us rest. Um, the fathers and mothers have the authority to name their kids whatever they want to name their kids. And a lot of times it has to do with what they see. Esau came out and he was red and hairy, so they called him Harry. And that's what Esau means. But uh, it's also true when Jacob blessed the 12 tribes of Israel, his 12 sons. And um, you remember that. We'll study that when we get to the end of Genesis. It's the, the same thing. God honors that. It's the same thing here with Noah. And he curses Canaan, Ham's son, and God honors that. And he blesses, he says, blessed be the God of Seth, I'm sorry, Shem. And um, so whenever, uh, you know, it's in, the, it's in the power of parents to bless or curse their kids. These days it might not be much in the way of a name, but it might be in the way you raise them. You can raise them to be blessed and to bless you back. The Bible says that, uh, you know, you raise your kids right, they actually bless you back when they grow up and get older. And they return to the Lord, and they return to the things that you taught them. If you neglect them, well, you're going to see how that turns out. And so it's it's the same for us today. Um, fathers, mothers, they bestow blessings on their kids. Um, God always honors it, too. Um, he, he will honor how we raise our kids. Now, there's more to that. In men's prayer, a few weeks back, we were reading Ezekiel 18, where the sins of the father are upon the father. And if the sons repent, well, the sons uh, don't, what the proverb was back then, they were saying, uh, uh, our fathers have sinned, or our fathers have eaten sour grapes, and our, our teeth are set on edge. The idea is, well, our fathers sinned, and now here we are living with it because of what they did. And God says, no. If the, sin, the son sins, the father's not going to pay for that. The son will pay for it. If the, if the father repents, the father will receive the blessing and, and the forgiveness for repenting. For repenting, And he, he reaps the benefits of lo- uh, leaving that sin. And so each one to his own. I like to say God does not have any grandkids because everyone needs to come to the Lord for themselves and everyone gives an account to the Lord for themselves. So beginning now in Genesis 10, um, let's read down all the way through. And we'll come back and just talk a few things. This is the genealogy of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And the sons were born to them after the flood. The sons of Japheth were Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tyrus. The sons of Gomer were Ashkenaz, Ripheth, and Togarma. The sons of Javan were Elisha, Elisha, Tarshish, Kidim, and Dodanim. And from these, the coastlands peoples of the Gentiles were separated into their lands. Everyone according to his language, take note of this, everyone according to their families, and everyone uh, into their nations. Now the sons of Ham were Cush, 
Mizraim, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush were Seba, and Havilah, and Sabta, Reama, and Sabteca, and the sons of Reama were Sheba and Dedan. Cush begot Nimrod, and Nimrod began to be a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord, therefore it is said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Kalneh in the land of Shinar. And from that land he went to Assyria and built Nineveh, and Rehoboth, Ur, and Kala, and Rezin, or Rezin, between Nineveh and Kala. That is the principal city. Mizraim begot Ludim and Anamim, uh, Lehabim, Neftuhim, Peruzim, and Kaluhim, from whom came the Philistines. Interesting, in the Kaftorim. Uh, Canaan begot Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth. The Jebusite, the Amorite, the Gergesite, the Hivite, the Archite, the Sinite, the Arvadite, the Zemurite, the Hamathite, the Choglodite. Afterward, the families of the Canaanites were dispersed. And the border of the Canaanites was from Sidon, as you go towards Gerar, as far as Gaza. Then as you go, out, go down towards Sodom and Gomorrah and Adma and Zeboim, um, as far as Lasha. These were the sons of Ham, according to their families, according to their languages and their lands and in their nations. And children were born also to Shem, the father of all the children of Eber, the brother of Japheth, the elder. Um, the sons of Shem were Elam, Asher, uh, Arphaxad, Lud, and Aram. The sons of Aram were Uz, Hull, Gather, and Mash. Arphaxad begot Salah, and Salah begot Eber. Eber. To Eber were born two sons. The name of the one was Peleg, for his days, for in his days the earth was divided. Interesting. And his brother's name was Joktan. Well, Joktan begot uh, Almodad and Shelef, Hazar Maveth, Jera, and Hadaram, Uzal, Dikla, and Obal, Abimel, Sheba, Ophir, Havilah, and Jobab. All these were the sons of Joktan. And their dwelling place was from Mesha, as you go down towards Sephar, the mountain of the east. These were the sons of Shem, according to their families, according to their languages, in their lands, according to their nations. These were the families of the sons of Noah, according to their generations, in their nations. And from these, the nations were divided on the earth after the flood. All right, there's some interesting name here, names here. Uh, you recognize a few right up front there from... Uh, from uh, Japheth um, in, in Ezekiel 38 and 39, which we've studied often here. If you haven't, uh, we will soon, um, or touch on it, because the days we're living in, we're literally seeing what's going on over there in Israel and the Middle East, and now with Russia and, and Ukraine, and Russia also you know, loading up real heavy in Syria. If you didn't know that, that is very interesting, the days we're living in. Uh, that is right out of the Bible of prophecy and um, um, but uh, Gomer is mentioned, Magog, Meshach, Tubal, Togarma, Tarshish. Uh, many of these are mentioned in Ezekiel 38. Also at the end of Revelation, some of these names are mentioned. 
Tarshish is along the coastline, it says. And many believe, and it seems pretty obvious, that that would be along the, especially with the shipping talked about elsewhere in the Bible, that these are the British Isles. But notice it says about all these guys, these were the lands, the languages, the families, and the nations. Of Japheth, it turns out to be Europe, the Slavics northward, Asia Minor around Turkey, and then Russia to the north, the sons of Japheth. Ham was the lands, the languages, the families, and the nations of Africa and Egypt. And most notably, I'm going to have those guys throw up the, uh, the uh, map, if you can, of that region. It kind of shows how they, they were divided out. Um, so uh, nations of Africa, Egypt, and most notably the area of Canaan, which is the Middle East of today, and apparently including most of Iraq all the way towards Kuwait, now, that doesn't really show it there, but as you read some of these names and you look down towards the, the bottom uh, left and then go across to the bottom right and go up a little bit, some of those names are actually around that Yemen area and going up that way. Um, much of Shem and, uh, is actually farther to the, to the right and goes into India. Um, so uh, Ham was, um, again, Africa, Egypt, Canaan, Middle East of today, and Iraq, all the way almost to Kuwait. Now Shem was the lands, the languages, the families, and the nations that moved eastward, and mostly as far as Kuwait and then beyond. Saudi Arabia mostly, except for that little bit down towards the bottom. Um, Abram, the Shemite, or Abraham the Semite, or, um, is found in the land of Ur of the Chaldees. And that's not really that far. I don't know if that shows up there. But that's real close over there towards Kuwait um, in that breadbasket or the, what they call the cradle of civilization. Uh, not that far from Iraq. And then they mostly moved eastward again to India and all. The cradle of civilization is thought to be where the Euphrates and the Tigris are in eastern Iraq. Some say it's where the Garden of Eden was. Um, if you just follow through what the scripture says, they moved east. Remember, uh, Cain went out to the east and wandered around, and, and uh, they mostly settled to the east of Eden, and that's also where um, those Tigris and Euphrates are. So uh, that's where the Garden of Eden is mentioned. Now, how that all turned out after the flood could be anything. We have no idea how the earth was broken up and how it came back together, how the mountains came up how the, the deep was broken up and burst forth and the land masses moved around. So whether or not um, the maps that we have today are anything close to where the Garden of Eden is, it's highly unlikely. I'm sure a lot of people look for it and try and see if they can get past the angel. I don't know. But um, anyway, so north of this area is what's known as Assyria. It's not to be confused with Syria and Damascus. Um, and east of there is what's known as the Plains of Shinar, um, so, we have this interesting character named Nimrod. Um, the name Nimrod means rebellion. It also means valiant. So he is really good at rebelling. Um, there's a list of things that we learn about him. First of all, he's mighty one on the earth. Mighty means strong and brave. He's a mighty hunter. Hunter means he's a provider. He's uh, likely made him popular and well-known, well-known name. Because, you know, when the guy's bringing stuff back for everybody and providing, you know, people take notice. But it says it was before the Lord. And that word before means in the face of. 
is the direct translation. And it can include actually against or challenging pridefully. That's who Nimrod was, rebellious in his name and before the Lord in the face of the Lord. He's the first guy on earth that ever had his own kingdom. First place in the Bible that the kingdom is mentioned for anybody other than the Lord. Um, He went on to build cities in Shinar and Assyria, including Nineveh. We read that. Nineveh is that town, you know, from Jonah, uh, where it was a great city. Things about Nineveh is a great city. Had great wickedness, we learn in the book of Jonah. We learn that God is gracious and God is merciful. He sends Jonah. And Jonah preaches judgment in 40 days. They believed Jonah. And they repented. And Scott says God spared 120,000 people in the city of Nineveh because they repented, because God's gracious. Here's a city that Nimrod, the rebel, builds. is a great city. And it says it's greatly wicked. And yet um, God's merciful. God sends Jonah. Now Canaan was the father of all those nations that you see when Moses brought the children of Israel up to enter the promised land. Looking at, you know, you recognize these names as you read through um, Joshua, Judges, uh, well, really the rest of the book of Genesis, uh, the kings and all, and even in the prophets, um, Jebusites, Amorites, the Gergesites, the Hivites, the Archites, the Sinites, the Arvidites, and um, I don't know if we see these other guys too much, but they are all the families of the Canaanites that were dispersed in that whole area, which is also the land when Moses came up that God gave them. And God gave to Abraham, promised Abraham, and Moses took for possession. Shem was the father of Eber, another name that might be interesting. Eber had a son named Peleg, and in his days it says the earth was divided. Now if you follow the line through Shem down to Peleg, it's about the same amount of time that Ham came down to Nimrod. And so it's very possible what's being talked here is in his days, the earth was divided. Um, it's likely when Peleg would have lived around the time that the languagers were confused and the earth and all the nations of the earth were divided. And when it was divided into these lands, languages, and nations. Um, so Eber lived 400 years after Peleg was born and was around during and long after the confusion of the languages. And it is believed from this guy Eber, um, we get the Hebrew language. Hebrew, Eber, um, and they, that's what they teach. Now, Jobab, the other guy there that we see a name similar as Job. Many believe that Jobab mentioned there is Job in the book of Job written about him. And Job was the oldest writing in scriptures. It was written before and the story took place before Moses wrote the Torah. Genesis, first five books of the, of the Bible is the Torah, the Pentateuch. Job talks about the wonders of creation, creation and some strange animals, if you've ever read through it, some of which are long extinct. Shem lived 500 years after the flood and was still around for what happens next. It's very possible Ham and Japheth also lived. It doesn't say how old they lived, but it does say that Shem lived 500 years after the flood and would have been around So that brings us to Genesis chapter 11. And we're just going to start with verse 1 through 9. 
It says, now the whole earth had one language and one speech. Right off the bat, you see this is a recap of the previous chapter where it says all of these had, Shem, Ham, and Japheth had their own language after their own lands, according to his own language and their own families. That's why I wanted to draw attention to it. But this is the recap, starting with that and then going forward. And verse 2, And it came to pass, uh, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language, and this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come let us, Elohim, go down, and and there confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. And so the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. The whole earth, everyone was still in this area uh, east of Shinar. And by now, hundreds of thousands um, were spreading out. And they were farmers. They kept flocks. They kept animals, livestock. And then they moved toward the plains where there's a much larger area. Larger crops can be grown. They're continuing to multiply and be fruitful. And more and more people need more and more land. Um, likely working together, maybe even having things kind of like co-ops in some ways, because they began to to kind of get into little neighborhoods and cities. And uh, the timeline says that Babel was the first city built, and it says that they, not Nimrod, began to build Babel. Um, but his kingdom was just the beginning. He may have only begun to have a kingdom during this, and grew and it grew stronger after Babel. It said about these guys, the whole earth had one language, so there was unity. They journeyed to a plain together, they lived together, and they dwelt there, and they began to build with bricks. In other words, they're putting down roots. This is no longer a tent that you can pick up and roll up and then you know migrate to another area. And I'm sure as humanity spread throughout the whole earth, that's how many would travel. Um, you, you pick up everything that you need to camp out, and you move on to the next one. And you build your tent again. Well, they started putting down bricks. They started putting down roots. And um, they started building permanent buildings, not a tent. What would cause them to want to build a city and want to build a tower? Um, what we see about it is they wanted to reach to heaven. Um, they wanted to make a name for themselves. And they wanted to be kept from scattering, it says right there. Now Shem lived 500 years and was still around. Um, So they knew, and and Ham and Japheth were probably still around. They knew what the Lord had commanded Noah, that they should be fruitful and multiply and fill the whole earth is what he commanded them to do. 
And they're not. Instead, they're building a tower. They're building brick buildings. Um, they knew what God commanded Noah. And uh, you can only have so many farms and, and so many fields where you start thinking, well, we've got to kind of build up now so it doesn't take, it's not a really a stretch to wonder uh, that they would start building two stories, start building structures. They got this brick. Uh, it doesn't take long to figure out what a, a, um, you know, a header is and, and all and start going up another floor and, and going across and building beams and going across and doing everything. They, they did multiply. And they could only have so many farms and so many buildings, and they began to build bigger buildings to live in. Um, and they dwelt together, and they liked their society. Um, it's not really a stretch to believe that they were starting to build bigger buildings and starting to actually put these communities together and start to have cities, small little villages. It's what an engineer would do if you need more space. You build up. If you don't have more land, well, we got to go up. We can't go out. Um, engineers are problem solvers. That's really what an engineer is. Now they go to school and all that. But they're, they fabricate solutions. That's what they do. They're problem sol solvers. They find solutions. They build what they must so the need is met. And they try to allow for expansion and issues that may come down the pike in the future. And that's what an engineer does. Um, when you solve a major problem for a lot of people, you make a name for yourself. Um, you receive the rewards, you receive the accolades, you receive the status, you get the reputation, you make a profit, you get recognized. Um, there's nothing wrong with being a builder. There's nothing wrong for being a tradesman or an engineer. Um, you know, while we're here to make a living, you know, I love to build stuff. I love to, I even drew plans if I ever had the chance to build a house, but, you know, that's long collected a bunch of dust. You know, rather than, you know, living, it's, uh, I'd love to build a church building that had no problems. You know, it was the easiest, most easily maintained, best thing, and we wouldn't hardly have to do any work. But that's, you know, I love to draw things and solve problems that I see. It's kind of a tip for you gals, us guys. We like to solve problems. We hear what you're saying, but more than anything, we want to fix it. <laughs> you know, then that's just the way we are. It's it's an engineer built into all of us. Um, you know, but the world is not our home. And what God does provide for me is what he knows we need. Godliness with contentment is great gain, is what the Bible says. If you're called to be in the trades, I used to be. I used to be in construction and was working around the trades the last 30 years. Um, that's what he's provided for you. You know, and it may grow, and you may make a profit, and you may have a good reputation. That's all good things. You should have a good reputation. You should be good at what you do. It's a testimony to the Lord to be good and not lazy and not somebody who is known for being hard to, you know, employ. It should be the, the best employee that your boss has as a believer. It's a good witness. It's, it's a good testimony. And you may, you know, increase but it all depends on who gets the glory, right? When all you desire is to make a name for yourself, well, then you're going to gather as many people as you can and seek and meet all their wants, and then you can enjoy all the accolades and the riches, and you don't give God any of the glory. And, um, you know, that's the definition of politics, really. Uh, solving problems for people 
and then you start finding problems aren't there, you got to make them up to solve them for people just so you can continue to have your position. But cities were being designed, cities were being built, and they loved their society. But they knew that they were commanded, right? They knew they were commanded to go into all the earth, to move out and fill the earth. Where did this command come from? Well, it came from heaven. It came from the God who opened the windows of heaven to flood the earth. When Ham, Japheth, and Shem were telling their descendants and telling all these people that are doing this, um, that's who God is. God was the one that opened up the skies, the windows of heaven, God above the heavens. If you want to flip to Psalm 29, it says, Give unto the Lord, O you mighty ones, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters, the God of the glory of thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. He breaks the cedars and splinters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes them also skip like a calf. Lebanon and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. In verse 9, the voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, everyone says, glory. The Lord sat enthroned at the flood, and the Lord sits as king forever. The Lord will give his strength to his people, and the Lord will bless his people with peace. They wanted to make a name for themselves. They didn't want to obey God. They did not, not want to glorify God for his provision and his blessing. Genesis chapter uh, 9, verse 1 says it was a blessing. He blessed Noah, said, be fruitful and multiply. It was a blessing. Fill the earth. It was supposed to be a, a blessing, a happiness to go out and fill the earth. Uh, and that's what he intended. They did not want to scatter throughout the whole earth. They were getting comfortable where they were with their society. And... Um, so basically, they're fighting God. They're rebelling against God. The God of heaven, by building their own pride, in their own pride and in their own abilities, and in their own strength, a tower where they think now that they can put themselves in God's place. The God above the heavens, let's build the tower up there and see what's going on. And so they desire to build this, temp this uh, tower to reach up and reach above the heavens and it's an interesting picture for us because the same is true for us when we seek to approach God on our terms with our own strength to seek to, to justify ourselves and bring the solutions that we want to engineer, being the engineers that we are, to try and cover it up for ourselves. We don't try and undo our sin, um, or I should say we do try to undo our sin by fixing the problem and covering it over, building something to kind of fix it, instead of just confessing it and repenting. That's humbling. You know, building something to fix it, that, that's proudful. We can do that. We can fix ourselves. That's pride. We have to repent because only God can fix us. Um, to this day, mankind in their pride and rebellion against God continued to try and build up to the heavens and make a name for themselves. They rebel against the God of Israel that is keeping his promise to the land in Israel in these last days. There hasn't been a vote in the UN that was uh, cast with anything concerning Israel in favor of Israel since they became a nation. 
since then, it's been always on their own and the United States. And that's looking pretty bleak right now, the way things are going with the United States towards Israel. The same God of the Bible who sent Jesus Christ, the Messiah of Israel, you know, to reconcile. And this is important through this whole stretch, the whole flood, the whole Tower of Babel and the scattering. Keep in mind, God's plan at all times was to reconcile man back. Ever since the fall, ever since the garden, he wants to reconcile us and all mankind, Jew, Gentile, male, female, slave or free, to himself through his perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God. And they have been in seeking the unity of the world since the Tower of Babel, through religion of Babylon, worship of false gods, which is worship of demons, and the doctrine of demons, Gnosticism and the New Age, and meditation and worship of self, making themselves gods above the one true God. In fact, whenever you do what you want to do, when you know what he would have you do, you kind of put your place in his authority, didn't you? You took authority over what he wants you to do, and you made yourself, the, you put yourself back on the throne and not him. Well, it's the same, you know, making themselves God above one true God, the same as Lucifer, right? Wanted, same as Eve desired, same as Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Here's Babel again, Babylon, who made a statue of gold and demanded everybody worship it. He wanted to make a name for himself, just like these guys that were building the tower. Making a name for yourself, Chrysler built a skyscraper to make a name for himself. It's the Chrysler building. You can sell a lot of cars if you got the biggest building in New York. They reached to the clouds. Sears had to beat them, so Sears builds a skyscraper. There's been a ton of them since. Um, Another one builds the next one that's taller. I looked it up today. Now it's Hong Kong, and next taller is Shanghai, Taiwan, um, Gangzhou, China. The World Trade Center in Manhattan is the next one taller. Seoul, South Korea, Shenzhen, China, Mecca in Saudi Arabia has the Mecca Hotel, which is taller than the next, uh, and a little taller. And then now the next tallest one is the Shanghai in China, in China. But the tallest today is Dubai, and it's uh, in Dubai, and it's 2,700 feet or over 2,700 feet. The Egyptians built the pyramids. They wanted to connect to their gods. They go up in the sky, try and build things up higher. Um, nowadays, we build rockets. We go blow past all of that, right out into space, um, beyond our solar system. We build telescopes that can see beyond our galaxy. We can see now, they say, to the edge of the universe, if that's possible. And they say that they're going to find now, they're declaring it already in their articles, that they are going to find the beginning of time and they're going to see, they think they'll literally be able to see the Big Bang because the farther you go out, the farther back in time you look. And so they're expecting with this, uh, I can't think, is it James Webb telescope that, um, that they have now and it's starting to get ready to go online in the next month or so that they'll be able to see the farthest distance ever and uh, they expect to see the edge of the universe and to be able to to tell us exactly what happened at the Big Bang. Now, you know, they built a metaverse where you can reach the singularity with everything and become one 
with all the information in the universe and live forever in unity with the cosmos, the singularity. You get, the guy Kurzweil, I don't know if you know about keyboards for like music, Ray Kurzweil worked for Google and has his own whole department over there at Google and his whole thing, he's getting up there in age, I don't even know how old he is and clearly he hasn't reached his goal, but he wanted to be able to upload his brain and his memories and everything into a computer and live forever in the cloud or in the, you know, in some server somewhere. And that basically he wants to be the singularity. Uh, Facebook is now called Meta. Um, and uh, the metaverse is something that, you know, you can go, you can put on the goggles and you can have your, your, uh, your surrogate or whatever it is, uh, just wander around the metaverse. And they're seeking to reach way beyond anything that we ever were, to see things way beyond anything that they've seen before. They say they'll find the beginning of time. They say they're going to reach the singularity and they'll be one with the universe. And you know at the core of all that? Well, the God of the Bible is a myth. We blew that out of the water a long time ago with evolution. You know, science is the final authority now, not the Bible, not the Word of God. Just like Lucifer. Look at Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ has come. So they had been, somebody had been sending them letters saying, yeah, it's over, we're in the tribulation now. And they were getting upset. It says, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and absalts himself, where? All, above all that is called God, or above all that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I still was with you, I told these, these things? And now uh, you know that it is restored. Uh, what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way, speaking of the Holy Spirit who dwells in me and you. And when we are raptured to go and be with the Lord, the Holy Spirit is taken out and that restraining force, me and you, and the things we do and we say, that restrains. You walk into the room and all of a sudden they quit telling the dirty jokes because you know, they know you're not going to laugh. It's just a small example. There's a lot bigger example. How many people got canceled on Facebook or, or Twitter or these other things where you were, you know, they re, you're, you're the restraining force. What do they do? Well, they cancel you. They don't want you on, you know, telling people the truth. In verse 8, And then the lawless one will be revealed from whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, all signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And if you turn back like three pages, what deception? We're going to Colossians 2, verses 8, 9, and 10. What is this deception? You know, the Bible says if it were possible, even the very elect, how can the very elect get deceived? 
The only thing I can think of is they don't know their Bibles. And they don't seek the Lord and have a one-on-one with Him. And many people get saved. And that's all they do is get saved. And as much as the Lord desires, and, you know, I can't judge any other individual. I can't look at somebody and say, you're this or you're that. I know my own heart. And I can say this and that about me. And Paul, when he looked at his own heart, said he's the chiefest of sinners. And I believe that he's wrong. I believe I am. But um, that's because I know my own heart. And I I just say that uh, there are those that, you know, will possibly be deceived. If it were possible, it says, the very elect would be deceived. Colossians 2, 8, 9, and 10. And being found, wait, where am I? Nope, I'm in Philippians. How did that happen? 8, 9, 10. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Okay, so what philosophy? We've, we've talked about this before. The word philosophy comes from the word philo and sophie. Philo is love, you know, Church of Philadelphia. Sophie is wisdom. And like we've said in the past, if you, a lot of people name their daughter Sophie and kind of put a pretty good expectation on her, right? You are named wisdom. The word there is knowledge. And how is it deceptive? How is the philosophy of the world? Well, they're engineers, right? They're builders. They're going to build something more powerful to solve more problems. Um, they're going to solve all the world's problems. Overpopulation. Well, what did God command Noah? Be fruitful and uh, multiply. They're going to solve climate change. The whole earth is at stake. Everyone has to work together to fix it. That requires unity. That requires what they had at the Tower of Babel. Now you've got the Rosetta Stone. You've got apps on your phone. You can speak English, and it'll come out to Chinese to the, the person that's across the table from you, and they can talk back to you. And you don't hardly need to learn another language. You can communicate with anybody. You have the Internet. You can, there's guys in Russia that are hacking your computers every other day, you know, these days. Or so that if they could, they would. Um, they're building more powerful things. Um, as again, they, they want to be myth busters, right? The first myth that they got to bust with their science is anything that says that God created the heavens and earth. They want to look above and beyond all that God ever said about himself or about heaven. So they're building what they got to do to see past it building rockets so that they can travel past it. Social injustice. we got to fix this. we got to engineer something. we got to engineer society. I remember back in high school in the 70s, they talked about social engineering, how they're going to fix the problems of the world. Um, you got to have a global government for that, and there's got to be an ultimate authority for that. And as such, you know, we see it today. First, all the ways this has been tried over the years, um, you know, communism, socialism, Islam, they all want to rule the world. Globalism, they all want to rule the world. Everybody wants to rule the world. They already stand in, monitor some places, our elections, that we go, we go down to the school or wherever, and we go to vote. There's people there watching from the UN to make sure everybody gets a chance to vote without any problems or issues. What are they doing at our polls? You know, why is it any of their business? 
many in our government have already invited the UN to help us solve our social problems. You know, uh, Ferguson with the riots and, and many of the things that go on, they create the problem, the social problems. They want to solve it. The globalists want to solve it. I'm not being political here. I'm not trying to be uh, patriotic in any of this. Scripture says that this is the philosophy of the world. This is the tradition of men. This is the rudimentary principles of the world. And it's the same thing at the Tower of Babel. They were one. They had one language. And what did they want to do? They wanted to go against God. They wanted to fight God. That's exactly what's going on now. God's a myth. They want to disprove all of that. Man does not, by nature, want to come under the rule of a holy God. They want to be autonomous. They want to be uh, self-governing. And they want to rule over other people. And they're hungry for power. The globalists, they're so hungry for power, they could spit. And no matter how much they have, they've got to have more. The Klaus Schwabs and the George Soroses and the whoever's. You know, the names behind the names. We don't even have a clue, I don't think. But um, they have no regard for human life. Uh, we're just a bunch of monkeys that, you know, if you're in the way, you get to, you get to be put away. What I'm saying is this is the place we're at in our world today. When COVID-19 hit and they began to say everybody must comply with what they wanted to do, the first thing that crossed my mind is it's the whole world, and that hasn't happened since the Tower of Babel, where the whole world was being told what to do. That's the first time since the Tower of Babel. They've been trying, like I said, with communism and socialism and, and different kings. And I mean, Britain, it was once said about Britain, the sun never sets on the British kingdom. They wanted to conquer the world. Many have tried to conquer the world thinking that they could fix it. Well, here we are now in this society where the inroads have been made. The next big thing that's going to come along, well, now it's not a vaccine. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's just an ID. Maybe you just got to have, uh, in order to track, I, I, I'm, I'm up on cryptocurrencies. And what that is is a digital ledger. And it keeps track, you know, a ledger. And uh, so normally you got your bank like that or you got your checkbook where you got the, if you know anything about accounting, you got the, the two-line ledger there. And, um, but this does it digitally and precisely, and it's corroborated by a bunch of nodes. So it's not just one guy with one computer that's got this going on. It needs to be substantiated and confirmed by the more the nodes you have, the more these are separate computers and all that. I didn't mean to explain any of this or go into this, but what it means is that they would be able to, if in fact, like uh, El Salvador has made Bitcoin their currency of their country. And as such, if they wanted to, they could look through the, the lines of code and they would see how every single penny was spent by every single person who spent it. And it's very easy to see. You know, um, they want to have uh, digital currencies for our country now and, and it's not... It's not the same as crypto. Crypto is, by nature, decentralized. They want to go around the banks. They want to go around nations so it can't be inflated and so it can't be manipulated by the, uh, by the banks and all with inflation and with interest and all these things. But all of it is an open ledger that can be easily tracked. They are very close. The they that's out there, it's the same they that built Tower of Babel. They want to rule the world. They want to rebel against God. Um, why did God confuse their language? Because he said nothing they proposed to do 
would be withheld from them. That's a scary thought. I don't know, or I don't think he was talking about skyscrapers or telescopes or space exploration when he said that. I don't think it mattered to him that they built a, a tower that got up above the clouds so they could maybe see the arc of the earth. You know, you take a plane ride, you see that now. You go and you can see any pictures from the, the earth is not flat, by the way. Don't raise your hand. I'll have a talk with you. Um, in book of Job, it says the arc of the earth. And there's many other places, and it's just simple you know, mathematics that, you know, the way satellites go. Um, but anyway, uh, just to name a few. But yeah, um, is God worried about the tower reaching above the heavens so man can see something more than, than uh, I don't think so. What he was concerned with and what made it so that they could do whatever they wanted is they were one. One language, completely uh, as a people, as the human race, they were one. When all the flesh on the earth was corrupt and every intent of the thoughts of their hearts were only evil continually, the Lord sent the flood and the earth was filled with violence. He judged. Um, now mankind once again is one and it has the power to destroy itself. They refuse to scatter throughout the earth. They're getting together in this one area. What if a virus hits? Boom. All of mankind, I mean, just for one example. But, uh, you know, they're unified and at war against God. It says that's why they built this tower. They did not want to scatter among the nations like he had commanded them to do. So he confounds their language. Genesis 11, going back to Genesis. Um, see if we can't get a few more verses in. 10 through 26. Now, this is Shem's other, or, um, um, yeah, Shem's other line, not Joktan. Um, and it starts in uh, verse 10. This is the genealogy of Shem. Shem was 100 years old, and he begot Af, okay, Arphaxad two years after the flood. After he begot Arphaxad, Shem lived 500 years and begot sons and daughters. Arphaxad lived 35 years and begot Salah. And after he begot Salah, Arphaxad lived 400 years and three years and begot sons and daughters. Salah lived 30 years and begot Eber. After he begot Eber, Salah lived 400 year, uh, three years and begot sons and daughters. Notice it's only around 400 years now. They're not living up to 900 years like they did prior to the flood. Um, after he begot, uh, then Eber lived 34 years and begot Peleg. After he begot Peleg, Eber, for, Eber lived 430 years and begot sons and daughters. Peleg lived 30 years, begot Ru. After he begot Ru, Peleg lived 209 years and begot sons and daughters. Ru lived 32 years and begot Serug. And after he begot Serug, Ru lived 207 years and begot sons and daughters. And Serug lived 30 years and he begot Nahor. And he, after he begot Nahor, Surig lived 200 years and begot sons and daughters. Nahor lived 29 years and begot Terah. And he, after he begot Terah, Nahor lived 119 years and begot sons and daughters. And now Terah lived 70 years and begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. That's as far as I want to go tonight. We'll pick up some more next week. But Moses, writing 
about the nations. Moses writing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writing about all the nations of the world, just as he followed this particular line from Adam. You remember Adam and Eve had many sons and daughters after Cain and Abel and Seth. And obviously to, there was marriage uh, and all, and, and they began to multiply. And we talked about a few weeks back that there could have been as many as a million people uh, or more on earth at the time of the flood. Um, or even a billion, I think, we talked about, you know, as you figured out how it might have gone, how long they lived and everything. Um, so he's following this line from Seth on down to Noah. There were plenty of other lines that he could have followed. There were nations, the earth was populating, and they were, were uh, spreading out. Um, there were also, he follows this line now uh, from... Seth, or I'm sorry, Shem, down to Abram, down to Terah, who is Abram's dad or father. And uh, he's following a particular line. Notice how he names each one, how long they lived, and they begot other sons and daughters. Not, not taking the same trek with all the different sons of Canaan or, or, or Ham or all these. He named the ones they did, and the Jebusites, the Gergesites, and all of that, but... He follows this one line specifically. He's keeping this line going. We know this was his plan. Um, there are many other nations and people, far greater, far more powerful throughout history, um, like the dynasties of China, dynasties of India, Egypt. And some of these can be traced back to the time of Abraham and earlier, even before Moses wrote the, the Torah. There are records of these uh, Chinese dynasty in India they go back 500 years before Moses wrote the Torah, pretty much almost back to the Tower of Babel, where they were scattered from. There's, there's records for some of these nations, um, beginning not long after Babel. But just because they have the oldest records does not mean that God chose their line for his covenants and promises as we will see, Abraham was a sojourner and settled in Cana among the Canaanites and their cities. Just a sojourner among them. He was not part of them. Abraham is blessed and prosperous. Later on, Israel grows strong and leaves Egypt and goes into the promised land. And just as Abraham, they were among the nations, but not part of them. He gave them the land. They had to kick those nations out and not follow after their gods and their idols and the worship of false gods. The rest of the world by now is vastly populated, even across the oceans and around the whole earth by this time. Many, many civilizations. God follows just that one line. God chose just that one line to come down through Abraham. The wisdom of the world today is no more borders. But Deuteronomy 32 says it's God who sets, 32 verses 8 and 9, says it's God who sets the nations in order. He sets the boundaries. God establishes these things. God is the engineer that saw the problem and he was gonna, that needed solving. He saw it before the foundation of the world. What was the problem? Adam fell. No longer is he walking with God. He's not reconciled anymore. What's the problem? What's the solution? Well, redemption, reconciliation. And he made that promise to Eve with that seed. 
And he follows that seed down through to Noah. He follows that seed down through to Abraham. And as we continue to teach through, if Lord willing, Lord tarries, through the book of Genesis, we'll continue to follow that. The Messiah would come. That seed would come through Abraham and his descendants. And that was the promise God had made and would make. And we'll, we'll learn about that as well. God's the engineer. He saw the problem. He was going to solve it. He saw it before the foundation of the world. He planned and designed a solution to that problem. Redeemed us, reconciled us, sent his son, the seed of the woman, all the way through Seth, Shem, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, then Judah. His strength, his sacrifice to his glory, his power, his majesty, his honor, not ours, not theirs. God loves to build, right? Creation. He was very pleased with his creation. Um, Genesis 1 and 2. He also built a house with living stones. And we are that house he built. It's his temple. 2 Corinthians 5 1 says, And we have a building of God made without hands, eternal in the heavens. God built a city. If you want to turn to Revelation 21. God likes to build. You know, he says that each and every one of us, he has prepared a place for us. And he calls it a mansion. And I say it all the time because it's just the greatest thing. You look at everything in the best beach and the best tropical, anything you want to look at in this world, that's a two-man pump tent that leaks. You know, he built us a mansion, like, like building the, a little tent next to that house on the river over there, the big stone one. That's not even the, a good analogy because an eternity. He likes to build, and we're going to be with him in eternity. What's he going to build? I don't know, but uh, he has built a city. In Revelation 21, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth have passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw a holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death and no sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. The former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I will make things new, all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of life, of the water of life, freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, Come now, I'll show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me of the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like the most precious stone, like the jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates. 
and the names on them, uh, were, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel, three gates on the east, three on the uh, north, three on the south, three on the west. And now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were written the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates and its walls. God loves to build, I tell you. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length and breadth and height are equal. He measured its walls, 140 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. The construction of its wall was jasper. The city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophrase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb were its temple, are its temple. The city had no need for sun nor of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated. The Lamb is its light. The nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor to it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day, and there shall be no night there, and they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter into it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life, that city, that bride. God loves to build, and he's using us as lively stones to build this city. How glorious is that? You know, we live in this world, we don't see it with our own eyes, we don't feel it with our own hands, but this is more real than anything we see and have right now. He's got for us a new body. We'll be raised up in incorruption, even though now we are corrupt. No more sin, no more memory of it. What a glorious hope we have. God loves to build. He builds with us, and he builds for us. And um, that's all I got. Praise the Lord. Amen. Father, we do uh, look forward to being with you. We look forward to having our new bodies being free from all this uh, sin and corruption. and um, We just want to give you praise and glory and honor and power for all that you've done for us. Thank you so much that you've written our names in the book of the Lamb, in your book. And we just are just so looking forward to it and so grateful. Words fall short. Father, thank you for your word, and, and I pray you keep our eyes fixed on you. In Jesus' name, amen.